All right, good morning to you. This is Mike Smith. We got an awesome Wednesday show coming up here for you this morning, including is it time to lace them up and hit the ice and drop the puck? Will the NHL and the Vancouver Canucks return to action? Will Vancouver be a hub city for NHL games? Could other cities in BC, like Victoria and Prince George, could they be part of an NHL return to action in British Columbia? I'll tell you what, all these possibilities on the table here right now, as the BC government works with the National Hockey League to make this happen. Now, Horgan, the Premier John Horgan, this guy is a sports fan for sure. He is all in on this thing. He's got his cabinet ministers working on it. Last night on the Global News Hour town hall, which was fantastic, by the way, it was a town hall meeting on Global last night, which you can watch online. Uh, Horgan talked extensively about this at, at some points and revealing that he's got some of his key cabinet ministers here working on this thing. So he's got Lisa Bear, his tourism minister, for example, working directly with the National Hockey League and Rogers Arena to try and set this thing up and get hockey going again in BC. Now, there were some also some interesting comments yesterday from Bonnie Henry, the provincial health officer, saying there's going to be no special deal here for the NHL to make this happen with the COVID-19 restrictions still in place here in British Columbia. But I'll tell you what, they got to say that. You know, they just have to say that. They got to say that there's no special deal. But it sounds to me like they're working overtime here to try and get this thing going, to try and get hockey up and running again in British Columbia. So we're going to start with that right now. Have a listen to this. Here is Horgan speaking last night on his conversation with the NHL commissioner, Gary Bettman. Uh, Mr. Bettman and I had a, a candid conversation. Uh, obviously, there are a, a whole variety of factors at play here. First and foremost, of course, is the well-being of the players and the safety of the community where the NHL would operate. Uh, the NHL has a good track record in Vancouver, of course, the 50th year of the Canuck franchise this year. What a great way to celebrate that 50 years and to bring hockey back to Canada and North America by coming to BC. Yeah, 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 you know he wants it. He wants it. Like, he's a sports fan for sure, but I also think he's thinking like a politician here. You know, and he's thinking to himself, if I can get hockey back on the ice and back on your TV set, and it gives people like a morale boost during all this stuff that we're suffering through, if they can watch hockey on TV again, and he can take some credit for it, that he was the guy who made it happen here in British Columbia. I, I'll tell you what, I, I think they love it, and I think the government's working hard to make it happen here. Have a listen to this one. Here is Horgan, uh, again, speaking last night in this global town hall, uh, talking about the conditions for the NHL to return to action in Vancouver. If we uh, ensured physical distancing, in other words, no fans in the seats, uh, that the, these were televised games, we could work with players on their safety with respect to full shields and a range of other equipment issues, and that it would be uh, based on a good solid plan from the NHLPA and the league, we could begin hockey here in British Columbia. Wow, yeah, like he said, he is all in on this thing. Let's talk to Rob Williams about it now. He is the sports editor for the Daily Hive. Been doing great work on this story. Rob, thanks a lot for coming on. Hey, Mike, my pleasure. What, what do you think about what you're hearing here? Is this going to happen? It, yeah, you know, I keep going back and forth. I, I think uh, if you'd asked me a couple of weeks ago, I thought, mm, it doesn't look like it's going to happen, but I feel like... Uh, 
there's a strong chance that the NHL will return this summer and um, they're going to have to do it in a different way, of course. And yeah. Vancouver looks, looks to be uh, one of the most viable options. I, I think the only, the only question is if it becomes a question of Vancouver versus Edmonton, I think that um, Edmonton has some, some uh, things in their favor as well. So, uh, but yeah, it, lo- it looks like the NHL is coming back and, and, um, and, you know, Premier Horgan couldn't be more all in on it. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's definitely uh, in, into it. And he's got his cabinet ministers working on it. Now, some of the rules around this, like how this thing would work, like obviously the gate, this would be a made for television product here. They get back on the ice, they start playing games. No fans in the stands, of course, right? So the fans, the stands would be empty, no fans allowed. And you'd have to have what, some kind of quarantine process for all the players and officials and TV crews, like they'd be in some kind of biodome or something to, to make sure they're not spreading, catching the virus or spreading the virus? How is that going to work? Yeah, I mean, a lot is not clear yet. Uh, yeah. You know, NHL, Gary, NHL uh, Commissioner Gary Bettman has, has not said a lot uh, on the record. So there's a, there, there have been some reports and there has been some guesswork. So um, presumably they would want to keep players and, and staff and coaches away from the public as much as they can. Uh, it's going to be hard to police that. I'm not sure if they're going to, you know, are they going to allow, would they allow uh, players to go for a walk on the seawall, for instance, yeah. or would they require them to, to all stay in, in, you know, by the hotel pool or something, something along those lines. Oh. Um, so, so there's, there's a lot of, um, a lot of different things that they're going to have to consider. And of course, um, you know, right now there are players that are in the United States or players that are over, you know, like Elias Pettersson and Jacob Markstrom are in Sweden right now. So everyone would have to quarantine for 14 days. I think that's something that uh, the Premier has been uh, and, and Bonnie Henry, Dr. Bonnie Henry have been quite clear on. Yeah, but I wonder, can they can they quarantine for 14 days and still be playing? Or I guess maybe they would quarantine by themselves for 14 days and then start playing. Maybe that's the way it would work. Yeah, that would be my guess. I mean, yeah. fly everyone in, get them to their to their rooms, uh, you know, hang tight for for a couple of weeks, and then uh, and then away we go and and um, and have teams practice and and prepare for a quick start to uh, what I would assume it would be the the end of the regular season. Teams have between eleven and thirteen games left right now, and then um, before they get into the playoffs. Um, right. And there's and there's still a number of options uh, for what they do in the playoffs. There's been reports of the NHL considering uh, moving from an expanded format from uh, instead of 16 teams making it, possibly 20 or even 24 teams making it, yeah. and just kind of giving a reprieve to all the uh, all the teams that are at the bottom of the standings, just playing out the string. Yeah, including the Canucks, right? Like right now, if under the regular playoff format, you get 16 teams make it to the playoffs, like you said. Like right now, on the current standings in the league, Rob, the Canucks are the Canucks are not in a playoff position right now on the 16 on a 16 team playoff format, right? Yeah, I mean it depends on how you look at it. They're they're below the playoff bar, but they played fewer games. So if you actually go by oh. points percentage, so if you if you I think if you had to. Uh, do a cutoff right now. I think, I think the prevailing wisdom is that you would do points percentage and the Canucks would make it in, but that would be a, a really cruel way to kind of end another team's season by being above the playoff bar and booting them out based on points percentage. So I think that's yeah. the, the thinking behind maybe expanding it to 20 or 24 to just kind of say, right. okay, the teams that are kind of in the mix, you guys all go into this uh, expanded tournament for the Stanley Cup. 
Okay, speaking of Rob Williams, he's the sports editor at the Daily Hive. I think if Vancouver is going to host games, that the Canucks have to be in the in the uh, on the ice and part of the playoffs here is a prerequisite. I hope Horgan put that <laughs> on the table for Batman. You think you're coming here to play hockey here? You better make damn sure the Canucks are involved in it. So I think what they might do is maybe go to a 24 team playoff format and maybe just. One of the plans on the table, as I understand it, is you go direct into the playoffs. Like, forget about playing the rest of the regular season. Go into a 24-team playoff format immediately. That's what you would do and get it on TV. I think, I don't know, what do you think, Rob? What would be the reaction of fans if that happened? I think people would love it. They would tune in. People would definitely see. I mean, I know I'd be tuning in. Uh, it'd, be <laughs> yeah. compel- it'd be compelling, and we, we haven't got much better to do, of course. But, right. um no, I, I think that would absolutely be compelling. The, the one worry I would have in, in that kind of a format where you just go straight to the playoffs is that you've got players right now that are not just, that haven't just played a game in a long time. They haven't even been on the ice in a long time. So these yeah. are going to be some rusty players. I actually think the Canucks might have a bit of an advantage in some ways. I think the younger player is going to have an advantage if it comes down to a bunch of players that have been in mothballs for, for four months. That the younger player, I think, is going to have a bit more of an advantage. And, of course, the Canucks' top players are, are, are mostly on the young side. So I, I think those players will be able to, to, to pick it up right away, whereas uh, older players might need a, a few games to kind of get back into the swing of things. Um, so I think that's probably why they, they, they might play some regular season games, just if nothing else, okay. just to get teams kind of, in, you know, get teams rolling again before, before you start the Stanley Cup playoffs. Right. All right, welcome back. Let's talk about the rise in racism and hate crimes during the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, Vancouver police have reported a surge in reported hate crimes in the city. The most common target of these crimes and attacks is Asian people. And a lot of these attacks and verbal assaults getting caught on video, including the latest one, police searching for a man who was videotaped on a Vancouver bus telling two Asian women to go back to your own country. And then, according to police, he had punched one of these women in the head. So the search for that suspect is still going on. Uh, Bowen Ma is an NDP MLA in the BC legislature. Yesterday, she posted a video on Twitter that has really sort of caught fire on Twitter, commenting on uh, the rise in racism. And here she is and what she uh, said on Twitter here. And when you start to embrace prejudice like it's righteous, that's when that's when it can start to manifest as verbal assaults, as physical violence, and as hate crimes. And hate crimes, hate crimes committed against even one person is really committed against all of us. Okay, I'm just taking a look at that video online right now. It's over 700 retweets, over 2,000 likes on Twitter in very short order. Bowen Ma joins me now. She's the NDP MLA for North Vancouver Lonsdale. Hi, Bowen. Hi there, Mike. Thanks a lot for coming on. A lot of people are watching your video and talking about it. What is the message you wanted to get out there? I mean, the main message that I want to get out there is that racism, including anti-Asian racism, it really isn't something that suddenly appeared with COVID-19. And it's been an issue that we have been battling in British Columbia and across the entire world for a very long time. And we're all a part of that battle. Um, and the reason why I, this is important is because I think that with the rise of, of hate crimes um, and with the kinds of comments that, that prominent figures like Brian Adams have made, people sometimes uh, misconstrue the concept of racism as though it is something that is only done 
by bad people. And when you do that, it makes it very challenging to have a conversation about it. So as an example, with Brian Adams, um, I know that he he posted a follow-up post. And to be honest, I don't believe that he really understands what it is that he did. And part of it may well be that he didn't intend to do what he did. Uh, And what he did, though, is that he, the way that he expressed himself allowed for people to bring out some of the bias and prejudice and ignorance that they, that they feel and are already, and the messages that they're already bombarded with. And that allows um, people to embrace it. And Again, when as you heard from the clip, when you start to embrace your prejudice and biases, yeah. Yeah. as opposed to recognize them as something to um, to monitor and check, then it can really start to escalate out of control. We we talked yesterday's on yesterday's show about the Brian Adams post, which, which for which he apologized, as you mentioned. But boy, that got, got a lot of people upset. But there, there was a debate that sort of broke out after that Brian Adams post about whether mm-hmm. whether it was racist or not, because. You know, the post was about he's a committed vegan, vegetarian, and he says his post was he's trying to point out the dangers of of, uh, wet markets. And maybe that was the source of the coronavirus in China. And this is the point he was trying to make. Now, he made it in very, you know, somewhat crude language, to be sure, throwing around a lot of F-bombs and talking about people are eating bats and and stuff like that. But, you know, some people are saying, well, is that racist or is he really just pointing out a, a, a genuine health hazard with these markets? Yeah, and I think that that's a big reason why I, I um, said what I did in, in my video. Yeah. Um, because bias, prejudice, and ignorance aren't merely confined to people who we believe are quote-unquote bad people, and they exist to some extent within all of us, uh, when pe- prominent people like Brian Adams expresses them, express themselves the way that they do, it allows for people to embrace those biases rather than check them. And when you do that, you don't actually have to name the ethnicity or the culture of people that you're trying to put down in order for it to incite racism because it becomes a dog whistle. And maybe it's unfair. Maybe it's, uh, but unfortunately, it is part of the responsibility of being a prominent figure like he is, of being someone who people admire and respect. And when you are a prominent figure, it is as much about what other people take from what you've said as much as it is about what you personally meant. Right. So in in the case of Brian Adams, for example, when he's throwing around language like bat-eating bastards, um, you know, you're saying that what, that, that conjures an image in mind that people people just imagine an Asian person and that's why it that's why it triggers racism, you think? Like it's a, his choice of language? Is that the problem? Yeah, I think that... Yeah. For people with platforms as large as Brian Adams, he has to be very care- people have to be very careful about um, how how they're communicating what it is that they intend to communicate. So, yeah. as an example, Premier John Horgan's tone on the matter, I believe, has been pitch perfect. And like other prominent figures, what he says matters. So he sets an expectation for how British Columbians should behave, and leaders like. Um, John Horgan can emphasize that that hate has no place in BC, um, or they can end up normalizing it and leave room for hate to exist and grow, like how Donald Trump might do down in the States. And I'm not trying to um, say that Brian Adams is 
the same as Donald Trump. Don't get me wrong at all. But what I'm trying to explain is that this is a very sensitive time. And we know that there does exist racism because it's always existed, not just against people who are who look like East Asians, but against all sorts of groups and prejudice exists against all sorts of groups. And when these tensions are high, we need to be careful about how we're communicating ourselves so that we're not exaggerating or making worse the situation. Speaking to NDP MLA Bowen Ma, and I'll agree with you that racism uh, must not be tolerated in any form. Uh, It must be rigorously condemned at all times and not tolerated and i will absolutely agree with you on that here here's where i think like it it gets tricky though right like if you're going to talk about something like uh if we're going to have like a rational discussion about something like uh these wet wet markets in asia or i hate that term wet markets actually it's like wild animals being sold in these markets and and whether that can be uh promote spread of this virus is it reasonable to talk about that without being accused of being racist? You know, like like Dr. Bonnie Henry, for example, has commented about well, maybe there should be closer regulation of these wet markets. I mean, that doesn't make her a racist, right? Yeah, and it all matter. It matters how you bring how you have the discussion, right? Yeah. I think that it's important for us to be able to criticize the policies of international governments, of governments that are our own. I think it's important for us to have rational discussions about specific practices that um, may or may not be acceptable. Uh, But we don't have to do that in a way that normalizes anger against people because of the way that they look or because of their heritage. And I believe that, again, maybe... Um, maybe some people will feel like the responsibility is unfair, but it is a responsibility of prominent people who have a large public platform to be careful about how they have those right. conversations. Right, right. The, according to the Vancouver police, we're seeing a surge in reported hate crimes in the city, and we've seen a lot of terrible incidents that have been caught, caught on video, and including this scary-looking guy in a bus who's like, you know, their cops are looking for him. Apparently, he punched an Asian woman in the head on the bus. And, you know, this stuff is horrifying. It's terrible. Um, what What have you experienced or what are you seeing or what are you hearing from people? I mean, you're you're an Asian woman yourself. You're, I think you're from Taiwan, right? Yes, my parents yeah. were both born in Taiwan. Taiwan yeah. I was born in Canada. I've uh, And, um, I mean, this is where I've lived my entire life. Yeah. And certainly, I have definitely experienced... Uh, prejudice, bias, or people making ignorant comments. Uh, But to be honest, it wasn't until I was an adult that it dawned on me what was actually happening and what was happening with the way I, members of my family, or other people were, uh, were treated as we were growing up. Because most racism isn't actually overt. Most prejudice doesn't exist as physical violence. It manifests itself in all sorts of ways, right down to systemic structures that mean, for example, um, that women make 74 cents to a a man's dollar, or that our foster care system is overwhelmingly disproportionately filled with Indigenous people. Uh, Racism manifests itself in all sorts of ways. Uh, It's like an iceberg. What you 
see what is captured on a video is only what's risen to the top because in reality there's a lot going on under the water and we are all capable of racism because none of us are immune to bias is it, prejudice is it getting worse right now with, with this virus going on in, in your experience or what you're hearing from people i know that there are a lot of people who are scared and that's the thing about hate crimes hate crimes are particularly heinous because in part because they can be infectious if the public doesn't rise up to condemn it quickly it can act as a spark that flares up and spreads to others and hate crimes are also particularly frightening because they're so unpredictable there's very little that an individual can do to protect themselves from it if they're in a targeted group they're not being attacked for doing or not doing something they're being attacked for simply existing and that is terrifying so absolutely i've heard from for, from my own sister uh, about being worried that my mother might be going out shopping alone and and being concerned for her safety. When you allow that to be normalized, nobody is safe because there's always another group to demonize. All right. Welcome back. One of the big fallouts from the COVID-19 pandemic is the cancellation of so many concerts and sporting events. And for people who had tickets to go to these events or were planning to buy tickets for them, yeah, it's a real drag. I had tickets to see James Taylor. That got canceled. I was definitely going to go see the Rolling Stones. I was super excited for that. That got canceled, of course. I had tickets to see a Pink Floyd tribute show coming up, like, in a couple of weeks, I was looking forward to that. This it all gets canceled. So, what happens when that happens? And should you get your money back? What if you bought your tickets from Ticketmaster? Do you get a refund? And what about reforming the law around ticket sales in BC? Let's talk about all this stuff now with my guest Kingsley Bailey. He's a ticket broker in Vancouver. Vancouver Ticket Services is his company. Kingsley, it's nice to talk to you again. Uh, Mike, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, let's talk about the the current situation. This 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 has got to be devastating for you and your business here with all these events getting getting shut down. What's it been like for you? Well, you know, it's been definitely hard. It's a challenge, uh, but uh, you know, we've got you know this uh, COVID nineteen is a really really huge challenge, and and uh, you know, I'll put that I'll put uh, my business on the back burner. I just want uh, you know to flatten the curve and. Uh, and then try and get back to some sort of normalcy, but uh, it's going to be a while. And uh, I think as uh, Canadians, I, I, I know that we can do it and get through this. Uh, we have to be patient. Uh, and uh, all this other stuff is just secondary. Yeah, it's really, uh, it's a really tough one, especially when you consider that some of the big concerts, like a, like a huge Rolling Stones concert or something, these are might be among the last events that we get sort of approved to go again because international travel shut down, large crowds not allowed. So it's it's going to be a while before we get back to that. And I sure miss it. I enjoy going to live music events. I, I enjoy going to occasional hockey game or whatever. And so it's tough. It's tough for everybody. What What is the situation out there for people who got stuck with tickets that they bought and then the event gets canceled? Like I know Ticketmaster, there's been some controversy with Ticketmaster, right? What's going on there? Well, you might, there's, a, there's a couple issues that we got to touch on. Is um, first off, when you purchase a ticket, you're basically purchasing a contract to go to a certain event on this certain day, and you're willing to put your money out in advance to be able to go to that event. So, but let's right. say something happens where the show is postponed. Uh, you know, somebody the band's sick, or uh, we're not even at the COVID nineteen situation, but somebody's sick and they've got to reschedule. Yeah. Okay, that's one thing. 
But for the fans that are coming in from out of the province or out of out of town, they're driving four, five, six hours. They put their holidays in place. Uh, they've taken holidays. They've adjusted everything to their family so they can get these three days to go to the event. Now that's in jeopardy because the show that was going to be on a Friday or a Saturday is now going to be rescheduled to a Tuesday. That contract is no longer the contract. That that needs to be a refund right away. And, and this is a bone of contention that I'm dealing with is I've got to go back to my customers and say, hey, guys, you know what? They've only postponed it. They're, they're honoring the ticket for another event, uh, and you have to go. Um, until we get some legislation in place, that truly defines a refund policy, we're stuck. And the one thing that I can say about this entire situation now, especially COVID-19, is these corporate behemoths have to do the right thing, and the right thing is to refund money if the event is not taking place. Yeah, yeah. Because right now, it's like, okay, so if you had tickets to see the Stones, for example, and now that has been, it's been postponed, right? It hasn't been officially canceled. They say the tour has been postponed. They will go back on the road when this is all over. And then what is the deal? If you if you bought tickets, they will honor those tickets for the rescheduled date? Is that what's happening? Uh, yeah, apparently that's what yeah. they're saying. But yeah. what should automatically happen is, the refund policy should be in place soon as the word postponement takes place. Because yeah. I'm in a situation where I've allocated and we've got tickets put aside or we put money out for tickets for our clients. And if it's postponed, I'm still stuck with those tickets uh, until there's a refund policy in place where I can get my money back. Now, if my client comes to me and says, you know what, uh, we want a refund because we can't go. And then I'm at I'm at a situation where you know what I'm stuck with these tickets because now I've got to resell them to a, a customer that might not be able to go because we have a lot of clients that are coming in from out of town that want to go to these events and are utilizing my service to to get them the best possible seats. Yeah, the uh, the Rolling Stones show was supposed to happen last night. <laughs> <laughs> It was, yeah, I know. it was May 12th at BC Place was, uh, yeah, what a night it would have been last night seeing the Stones in Vancouver. What a drag this thing. It's just terrible. Um, what What's going on in BC with our ticket selling laws, Kings? Because I know that the BC government had promised to bring in new laws cracking down on, on ticket buying bots, for example, these sort of automated bots that are get that buy up huge amounts of tickets and they were going to bring in new rules to protect consumers on tickets ticket sales what's going on with that you know what i you know i think that was just a lot of lip service from our provincial government um they really haven't done anything and i was kind of hoping being like a stakeholder in the industry that they would uh, uh put some teeth into some form of legislation but i think what they did was they they just uh pandered to uh some people that were really disappointed and wanted to see some change and had no no uh, no willingness uh, that they actually want to do to dictate some policy. And it's really sad because I've submitted so many ideas uh, during that question period where they were asking a lot of questions for the industry. And had they even looked at some of the uh, submissions that I gave them, this refund policy was clearly one of those. And had they done something back then, we would not be in this situation right now. The these, these companies have to do the right thing, and the right thing is um, 
is not working for them because when there's greed, there's no opportunity for a consumer to be to treated fairly. And the only way that uh, we can have some um, fairness in this marketplace is transparency. And the only way to get transparency is through legislation. Okay, because th- we can clearly see, sorry, Michael, we can clearly see that it's not working the way it is right now. Right. If so you're a behemoth, you- you're keeping the money. What do you think, speaking to Kingsley Bailey, Vancouver Ticket Service, what do you think should have been job one? Like some of the, some of the ideas you put forward for reforming ticket sales to protect consumers in, in British Columbia, what do you think could have been one of the, you know, an, an easy thing they could have done to that make the system better? Uh, well, one of the things I did mention was a refund policy because yeah. right now there is no refund policy. And now touching on with the COVID-19 uh, in this marketplace, um, they're not, uh, and you have some companies that are getting into a, a class action lawsuit because they want to offer a credit. Uh, these fans don't want credits. And like you said, Michael, you want to see the Rolling Stones. You don't want to see um, Justin Bieber. You don't want to <laughs> see the Jonas Brothers. You're only there to see the Rolling Stones. And if they're going to give you a credit, you're going to be going to an event that you really don't care about. Right. And they need to put some teeth in legislation, uh, implement a refund policy that's ironclad that you cannot get out of.